Hi, everybody. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Again, home for the holidays. We'll be home at least until next year. Now, of course, that's talking about the first week of the year when we go back on the road. But, you know, I believe we are being led of God. We're on our way to Florida for the entire month of... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. We're in our entire month of of January. We're going to be down there. And I believe that Judy, my dear wife, said that's what God's plan is for our ministry every year. Our daughter, Jody, as she helps set up that schedule, and we're going to be down there. But we're looking forward to the time we're going to be with Brandon House for one of the Sunday nights in Orlando area. Then we'll be all over the country going to St. Petersburg, going to the Tampa area, going up in the Hudson area. Looking forward to the time of ministry in that part of the world. We're thrilled that you decided to come join us on this particular weekend. And here on Prophecy Today, we're going to be looking at the top news stories of 2012. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today. We'll go around the world to find our broadcast partners, and we'll get their thinking, their input about the headlines of 2012 and what the prospects may well be for 2013. And we want you to keep your dial set right where it is for an hour and a half because that's what we're going to be doing the entire time. Don't go away someplace else. Hang in right where you are. Thanks again for joining us. In fact, let's go to our first broadcast partner. And, uh, you know, it's almost when I come on the air and talk with Ken Timmerman, I have to ask him, what part of the world are you in? So let me ask that. Ken, what part of the world are you in right now? Uh, well, uh, we, we have uh, been spending Christmas time in, in Sweden with my wife's family, Jimmy, and thank you for asking. It's been a great pleasure and a blessing to be there with uh, our first grandchild and uh, another one on the way. Oh, isn't that great? Uh, the grandbabies are always a very important part of Christmas. I'm glad you're able to have the time with them. Well, let's look back at 2012, a lot of news coming out of all across the world, and I've got a litany of items that I want to talk with you about. We'll not maybe talk about every geopolitical activity. We have other broadcast partners that may cover some of the stories. I have to believe, however, the number one story in America, and it relates to the rest of the world as well, was the Obama re-election. Your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, you know, clearly uh, Obama surprised most of the pundits. He surprised uh, the Republican analysts and the pollsters, uh, everyone uh, believed that he was headed to defeat in November uh, because of the economy uh, and because he had no plan to get the economy out of the downturn where we already have been for the past uh, four years. Uh, but he pulled off this victory, whether it was from blue voting machines or just by extraordinary good luck, uh, good, good luck or very hard work in getting voters out. I think what it means for America is that we are uh, headed for a period of decline as we become more like socialist Europe, where government becomes bigger and the individual becomes smaller. I have to look at what I think is the second most important story, his failure to deal with the problems in the Middle East, i.e. Iran, the Palestinians, and Afghanistan. Give us a thought about his not being able to step up to the plate properly and take care of the situation. Well, I think what we've seen so far with Obama, and we will see more of it in 2013, is a diminished American role in the world. Um, Obama has prided himself 
in ending two wars, and ending the war in Iraq and, and putting America onto the path of ending the war in Afghanistan. But what that means is that essentially those two wars have been wasted. The objectives of those wars have been lost, and America is headed to a diminished uh, role in both countries and throughout the Middle East. In Iraq, we have essentially, through our retreats under the Obama administration, turned that country over to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, al-Maliki, the prime minister, is by all accounts an Iranian uh, liege. Uh, I don't want to say a puppet, but he is a liege. He, he owes them obedience. Um, and he looks to them always before he makes decisions. And he's headed towards a civil war with the Kurdish population in his own country. In Afghanistan, it, it certainly uh, looks as if the Obama administration is preparing for a, uh, a deal with the Taliban. And uh, to bring the Taliban into a power-sharing agreement in, with the Kabul government, I believe, will essentially send the message to the families of those American troops who died in that war, that they died in vain. Ken, uh, Dennis Ross, who is the envoy for the United States to the Middle East, he made a statement that uh, the Obama administration is going to deal with Iran. Do you think that's a possibility, truth, or what? Well, I think what they are planning to do, and I'm very concerned about this, uh, is uh, to forge a deal with the Islamic Republic of Iran where they will lift U.S. sanctions and international sanctions on the Iranian regime in exchange for a vaguely worded promise uh, that the Iranians will uh, cease uh, the enrichment of uranium, in other words, for a nuclear weapons program. Uh, I don't believe that the Iranians will keep that promise uh, for an instant, uh, but they will try to find some window dressing on it to make it appear as if they will. For example, they may uh, say, well, we're going to send our lightly enriched uranium to Russia or to Turkey for further enrichment. This is a plan that's been in the works for some time, uh, but I don't think that it will uh, alleviate the major problem that we have, which is secret enrichment plants, secret stockpiles of uranium that the Iranians are able to get inside their own country from their own undeclared mineral resources, their undeclared uranium mines and milling plants. Uh, so I'm afraid that the Obama administration is going to cut a deal that will appear to be a peace-in-our-time kind of appeasement deal with the Iranian regime that will secretly allow them to continue their nuclear weapons research. Let me talk to you about Benghazi Gate. Looks like the White House is trying to uh, just hold steady, hide there in the White House and see if the Benghazi Gate will go away, actually. Four of U.S. citizens, one of them an ambassador, killed. What about Benghazi Gate? You really wonder when the American media, the left-wing media in, in the United States, will know shame. Uh, they seem to have no shame whatsoever. They have failed to report this story. They have failed to do their job as the watchdog, uh, the independent watchdog of the powerful in Washington, and to ask the questions, you know, when did the Obama administration know that the consulate, that our facilities in Benghazi were under attack, and what did they do about it? Uh, we know, and you and I have talked about this on this program during 2012, Jimmy, that um, th there was a live video feeds coming from a, at least one predator drone over the Benghazi complex. As the attack by the Islamic uh, radicals was going on, uh, the, the, there was live video footage coming into uh, the Pentagon and possibly into the White House. Who was watching that footage? When did they see it? 
and what did they decide as a result? Did they actually make a conscious decision not to send in reinforcements to, to bail those people out, to rescue those people? We don't have answers to those questions, and it's astonishing to me that the American media has not been asking them. Yes, it's a shame they are not, and uh, there are many questions, as you've talked about. Earlier on in this conversation, Ken, you talked about the economic problems in the United States. But let me just take that one step further. Are those economic problems causing the United States trouble as it relates to security for our nation? Well, they will once the defense sequester takes effect in the beginning of January, and uh, we will be reducing our defense expenditures by approximately $100 billion a year, and that's in addition to $100 billion a year in cuts that have already been put in place more or less voluntarily by the Department of Defense. I've gone through these numbers in, in great detail when I was running for Congress this past year. If you project them outwards, using, again, the Pentagon's own estimates, by the year 2020, the United States will be spending less on our defense than communist China will be spending on their defense. In other words, they will overtake us as the largest military in the world, spending the most money on the military, military research, military equipment, military procurement. And that, I think, is a very dangerous uh, turn of events. About a minute, Ken. Talk to me about the possible intervention by the United States into the Syrian civil war. I will say uh, I, I have been uh, uh, so far favorably impressed at the uh, reticence of the U.S. administration, both Hillary Clinton and Obama, of getting too deeply involved. Because uh, up until now, you've had uh, Islamist radicals who have threatened to take over the serious Syrian opposition. Uh, and so you have a, a dictator in Assad who's supported by the Iranian regime, and then the Sunni Muslim al-Qaeda-supported radicals on the other side. So the U.S. has been standing back a little bit and trying to help forge a, an alliance that would exclude those Islamic radicals. That seems to be taking shape. Uh, I don't see U.S. military intervention in Syria uh, with this one caveat. If the Syrian regime does assemble their chemical weapons, then I think all bets are off, and I think the Americans, the Jordanians, and the Israelis will get involved to keep those weapons from being deployed. Well, in fact, Prime Minister Netanyahu met with King Abdullah of Jordan, the Prime Minister from Israel, of course, discussing the chemical weapons of mass destruction there in Syria. All of these are ongoing stories, and we're going to continue to focus every time we get a chance to have Ken Timmerman behind these microphones. We'll talk about these issues in the coming year, 2013. Ken, thank you so very much. I know it was a tough task, but even during your time of campaigning for United States Congress, you joined us. You gave us great, great insight. Thank you so much, and do have a wonderful time with your grandbabies there in Sweden. And may I wish to you from us here at Prophecy Today a blessed, happy new year. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's it's really a treat to be on the show with you. I, I love your own your insights, and I and I love being able to discuss uh, these issues with you. God bless you for in, in 2013. Thank you, my friend. God bless you too. Well, we're going to take a break when we come back. A Middle East news update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today.
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, as I said, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll be headed out around the world after the first of the year, but it's good to be home for the holidays. And I'm sure as you might consider the possibility of having to travel all the time, you would say it's great to be home for the holidays as well. Well, a man who travels all over this world, we try to catch him wherever he may be, is David Dolan. He's in the United States for a number of speaking engagements. He's in the Middle East covering the news there. Wherever we can get a hold of him, that's exactly what we do. And David, good to have you along. I want to, on this special edition of Prophecy Today, looking back through 2012, the top news stories, in focus around the world, but on the Middle East with you as you give us your Middle East news update. Uh, Let's consider what I would think, and I'll see what you believe, I think the threat from Iran and the nuclear possibility of a weapon of mass destruction that could be fired against Israel probably is still the lead story as far as the Israelis are concerned. Well, it really is, Jimmy, and and, um, frankly, this is about uh, year number six or seven, something like that, uh, that the issue of Iran's uh, nuclear ambitions and what it's doing uh, has been front and center in Israel certainly a um, consistent topic of discussion. You can go to various Israeli news websites, uh, Jerusalem Post, Haaretz, Ynet, various other ones, and you'll find Iran has a certain, has a separate category even uh, that people can click to get the latest news on what's happening there. Uh, rarely does a week go by that we don't have some 
new and important development, the, the latest being the Iranians saying they would um, allow UN inspection at uh, all of their sites if the threat of uh, what they call the foreign intervention uh, against them would, would, be, would be lifted. So every week there's some new development. And uh, this new year coming ahead, Jimmy, does look to be a likely one where this issue that's been simmering, uh, you could say uh, simmering, boiling, even roiling, uh, will come to a head that the water's about to go over the lid and uh, we're going to have a showdown. Now nobody knows for sure, but the indications that that's ahead are very, very strong. So uh, we may be discussing that particular issue in a whole different vein uh, this time next year, the Lord uh, allowing. Yes, indeed. And it seems like Prime Minister Netanyahu was hinting at that when he said uh, probably no strikes, preemptive type strikes by the Israeli Defense Force on Iran until sometime in the spring. Uh, but that seemed to be an indicator in the spring they were going to deal with it. Well, and we also had... Uh, the outgoing Israeli defense minister, Ehud Barak, uh, revealed that a uh, Israeli uh, mission against the nuclear sites in Iran was uh, on the table and that it was about to take place early this year, uh, early in this passing year, and that uh, the White House basically intervened. And what we are led to believe is that uh, a deal was made that they would put it off until after the U.S. elections, after new Israeli elections, and then uh, then it would uh, come come around. So, of course, that time is now is now at hand, and it'll be a, a big news story this coming year for sure. David, I want to try to get to all these stories. I have about four more, so uh, let's uh, discuss what I would be thinking is the next most important news story. The United Nations General Assembly giving the Palestinian people state status and all the ramifications of that. Yes, well, it was a, it was a big story in terms of um, of uh, what the Palestinians want to see happen. Uh, I'm not so sure it's really changed much on the ground, but it certainly gave a big boost to um, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, and of course later on Hamas got its own boost with its um, uh, eight-day war with Israel basically last uh, November, in November. So um, the Palestinian issue has been a major one all through the year, and it always is. But um, uh, that U.N. vote was certainly a sea change, and it does show that the world uh, support for Israel is dropping, and that uh, even some of its of Israel's closest allies voted for this um, statehood statement, as it were, at the United Nations. So uh, an indication of more to come, probably. You mentioned uh, the situation between Hamas and the Israeli Defense Force there in the Gaza Strip. That would probably be, be number three news item coming out of Israel. The ongoing rocket attacks, that has not seemingly let up. Well, it has since the ceasefire's been put in place, but that's a tenuous ceasefire. And I'm sure even Prime Minister Netanyahu said after the elections, he's going to have to deal with Hamas. Yeah, it's very likely, Jimmy, that we'll have a, a major ground operation. Of course, that was what was pending. And as you know, um, uh, and the news reported, many Israeli reserve soldiers, 70,000, actually received call-up notices, and uh, many of them had already been shipped down to the Gaza border and were readying themselves to go in on the ground. But of course, it didn't take place in the end. 
It wouldn't have been good for the Israeli elections coming up, for the American elections, which had already taken place. But still, it was something that the White House wasn't looking to to, to have happen. But uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu made clear that uh, these rocket attacks cannot just periodically spring up and, and put uh, a million, two million people under the thumb. And, of course, in this case, the rockets hit uh, the greater Tel Aviv and Jerusalem areas for the first time. So that's a red line that's always been made clear to Hamas. And the next time that they fire anything, I think we will see uh, a ground operation there. So uh, we're talking about several military actions likely over the next uh, year. At the northern border, there is, of course, the threat of Syria making an attack in an effort by Bashar Assad to take the attention off of his civil war and focus it on something else should they attack. And there is that possibility, and even the weapons of mass destruction from a chemical aspect are of concern to the Israelis. Well, very much so, Jimmy. And and what we've learned uh, just in the last few days is that the Israeli leaders have been meeting secretly with the Jordanian uh, leaders. In fact, we heard that Netanyahu himself uh, flew secretly to Oman and met with um, uh, King Abdullah there to discuss the situation in Syria. The chemical weapons there falling into either Hezbollah hands or into the rebel Sunni forces' hands. The rebel forces, as we've learned, are made up of some al-Qaeda supporters, uh, some fighters from other countries, Iraq and Libya and others. Uh, We just don't know what they would do with such weapons. So the regional countries, this would also probably include Turkey, uh, may just take action to secure those uh, chemical weapons. But, of course, uh, trying to take that action itself could prove provoke a major war, so it has to be carefully done. But it's obviously something that not only Israel is very concerned about, and President Obama has said the U.S. and uh, NATO has said they're very concerned about this issue as well. Seems like uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu did react to the United Nations General Assembly a vote giving the Palestinian Authority state status by saying that they were going to do more construction in the city of Jerusalem, in particular the eastern section of Jerusalem, and throughout the Jewish settlements, and the world is up in arms about this. But Prime Minister seems to be standing pretty strong against world leaders and moving ahead with this project. Well, again, uh, building uh, homes for his citizens is, is something that a prime minister of any country is going to to feel responsible for and to look out for the the Israeli population continues to grow and you know we have we don't note it but uh, the Palestinians are building homes and expanding their communities and a lot of building going on in Ramallah and uh, Nablus and and um, Hebron and those areas I've I've witnessed it myself so you know everybody's building this is just a, a natural part of life it only becomes such an issue because, of course, the land that Israel's building on is disputed, is territory that the Palestinians claim for their future state. But as I and others have pointed out many times, uh, why can't Jews potentially live in such a Palestinian state, just as over a million Arabs are citizens of the Israeli uh, country today? Uh, it's a racist proposition to say all Jews must leave, and the Prime Minister's made clear he's just going to continue to build homes for his people as long as uh, they're needing more homes. Of course, that election for the next prime minister, and most likely it looks like it will be a return to power by 
Prime Minister Netanyahu. That's upcoming, but that would be next year. David Dolan, who helps us cover the Middle East, keeping us abreast of what's happening, in particular in Israel, but as it relates to the neighbors of the Jewish state as well. David, thank you so very much. You've done a great job throughout the year. Look forward to another year of doing the same thing, uh, with uh, the exception, of course, should the rapture take place, both of us will be leaving here and going into the heavenlies. But thank you, my good friend, and have a happy new year. Thank you. God bless, Jimmy, and Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. Thank you very much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue looking at Israel and what has been going on this past year and the prospects for the future. But we're going to do it with a longtime Jewish journalist. His name is Winky Madad, and he's standing by. We'll talk about some of the Jewish settlement activities and other issues with Winky. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're going to continue our look back at 2012 and ahead to 2013 with our broadcast partners. Now we're going to go to Israel Madad. Affectionately, we call him Winky. He's a longtime friend, a longtime broadcast partner. Winky, talk to me, if you will, about some of the main news stories in 2012. And that's started off with one of those leading stories was the situation that took place in the Gaza Strip. Talk to me about it. Well, Jimmy, and once again, shall we say, Israel has been forced to deal with a tense security situation in which its civilian population again came under attack. And this was the second time after the uh, disengagement uh, process took place. In other words, we've been discussing this issue for years on our program. We're getting old doing it. How do we solve the Palestine or the Arab or whatever you want to call it, Israel-Jewish conflict uh, that's been going on, I claim, for about 100 years or so. And those who do not think like me claim that you can negotiate, you can surrender territory, you can make uh, approaches to the other side, even what they call difficult and hard choices. Now, one of those was done by the Sharon government back in 2005, when they evacuated and disbanded the Jewish communities in the Gaza Strip, 
destroying agriculture, homes, and basically lives when uh, 8,000 people had to be expelled. And twice Israel has had to go, I'm not going to say to war, but in a military engagement lasting sometimes for weeks uh, after hundreds, if not thousands, uh, in a cumulative fashion have come down in Israel. This is an amazing event of the year that once again it happened, proving a political approach completely wrong, which is still being pushed, including perhaps from the White House and, and European countries, forced upon Israel to do something similar. Well, now, does that mean that because that conflict did take place a couple of weeks back when the Israeli Defense Force went in, took out the military leader of Hamas, took out many other of the Hamas leaders, some of their headquarters there in the Gaza Strip, that, does that mean it's over? They have a ceasefire? Is that going to continue on, or are they going to have to readdress this issue? Well, the, the short answer is we're going to have to readdress not only because every once in a while we've had one of, uh, not too many, but we've had some terror incidents, but the most important thing is that the uh, political leader of the Hamas, uh, Khaled Mash'al, came into Gaza, was about two weeks ago, and got up and announced that Israel does not exist in Hamas's eyes, except for a few poo-poos, as we say. No one tried to punish Hamas, uh, for taking such a stance, so that if you try to deal and negotiate with someone who doesn't want you to exist, then obviously those who consider negotiations between Hamas and Israel, and I just saw some articles about it recently once again, such as Tom Friedman, if I'm not mistaken, this morning in the New York Times, is completely idiotic, is the only term I can think about it, because it's a flying in the face of reality. We Even with friends, that is the opinion, and therefore Israel is always, if I can use the phrase, being hung out to dry. When we manage to fight back and begin to win, we're always cut up short. Well, and we've been talking basically about the conflict between Hamas in the Gaza Strip and Israel, the body politic, the government of Israel. But in addition to that, all of these world leaders, Hamas in particular as well, are saying the Jews have no right to live in the biblical homeland of the Jewish people, uh, being theirs for so many thousands of years. Uh, amazing to me that uh, the situation, the concern, the conflict about uh, you that are living there in those Jewish communities, the world knows them as Jewish settlements. Uh, they say this is the hindrance to peace, but isn't it the truth? They're the hindrance to war and to a continuing killing of Jewish people because they're there and their presence is assuring there is some safety for the Jewish community. Absolutely. Uh, Israel's security is quite dependent on the area we now have uh, because with the advancement of, of military weapons ever since '67, when we had to go in, uh, because of the war that the Arabs, especially Jordan and Egypt, began at that time, we, there's no way that we could go back. It seems like everybody's running away from the Jewish people, except those who are true Bible believers, and they're more and more standing with, I believe, the Jewish people than they ever have in the past. And I do believe that's an obligation on all of our parts, that really love the Lord and look at His Word as the authority for the times in which we're living. Well, we're talking about some of the events in 2012, but 
In addition to that, we always have to look into 2013. And I guess this would bring up our next subject, which you suggested is one of the top stories, the elections upcoming in 2013. They're going to be very, very important to the Jewish body politic, are they not? Well, they're going to be very important for Israel, but it's also very important to the world because at least at the present over the past two months, uh, Mr. Netanyahu and his government have been taking a tremendous, shall we call it, the diplomatic beating in the press and in pronouncements of world leaders about his policies in Jerusalem and uh, in Judea and Samaria. He is holding firm, and not only that, but it seems at the present moment, according to uh, most of the polls, he is very strong in the electoral support. And a lot of the newspapers and observers have been writing how Israel's population is shifting even further rightward as much as the world berates and criticizes Israel. Well, and would you say that the body politic in Israel is making a move to the right because they may well be coming to understand what the Bible says about the Jewish people, the land in which they're living, and the end result of what's going to happen? Well, Jimmy, let me be fair. Most Israelis are not observantly religious, although a large number are what we sort of call here traditional. Uh, and their approach to Jewish nationalism is not that religiously bound. So when they read about the Bible, when they take tours, or in their history classes and stuff like that, it doesn't have the same meaning for a, re- a, a truly religious person, although he's very much aware of it. And, and can quote the Bible as, as, as well as any preacher or rabbi. Uh, but it's not the same. Nevertheless, though, he does not accept the world's rejection of the link between the Bible and the land of Israel and current Jewish national practices. And therefore, he's astounded sometimes that while he might even be for uh, surrender or retreat, withdrawal or moderate, the nations don't view his connection with the land like he does even. Well, I love that phrase you just inserted into our conversation a moment ago. There's a connection between the Bible, the land, and the people, the Jewish people. And what the Bible says about the Jewish people in that land, indeed, do you not agree, Winky, it will come to pass. I think that we're looking, as I've always talked in this program, of a process of redemption in which God's will looks to me, uh, even with a scientific bent of mind, to be fulfilling itself with all those who love Israel from all the nations of the world and looking to be talking to you in the coming year and explaining to our radio audience exactly what is here in Israel and its connection to all the world's people uh, through the Bible. And I could not have said that better myself. Winky Madad, our special friend and a special broadcast partner helping us to understand some of the geopolitical activities taking place in Israel. I'm sure this conversation was very profitable to those who eased drop on it. Winky, thank you so very much, and uh, we indeed will talk again next year. Jimmy, uh, to all my friends and, and your listeners, very happy holiday season. Thank you for having me on the program. Always a privilege to be able to talk with Winky Madad. This man has such great wisdom and insight. That's why we continue to bring him to these microphones as one of our broadcast partners. 
Another man who we call often upon to give us insight as to what's really going on in the Palestinian arena, uh, the media in particular, because he heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch. They have a website, palwatch.org. Itamar, there's a lot that we need to talk about. We're looking back at 2012, the top news stories, and of course we have to look to 2013 as well. But I would suggest the number one Palestinian story would have to be uh, the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, going to the United Nations in New York City and the General Assembly giving status, state status, to the Palestinian Authority. Howbeit, Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not technically what they received at the United Nations, was it? They didn't get state status. They have not been approved as a state, have they? The Palestinian Authority, uh, the United Nations, two years in a row. To achieve state status, they have to do that in the Security Council, and there the United States and other countries said that they would uh, would veto. But in the United Nations General Assembly, they have an automatic majority with the with the large number of uh, Arab and Muslim states and the African states. So they, in the General Assembly, could not become a full state. They could become um, an observer state in the UN. What exactly that means, no one really knows what it means. It doesn't change anything uh, in terms of what's happening on the ground. Israel still has its land. Israel still is controlled of all the lands of Judea and Samaria. It has controls that have not been given to the Palestinians uh, as part of the peace process. So Israel, I think, is going to be in for a bumpy ride uh, in the next year or two because of this. And a lot will depend on the United States. Will the United States stand beside Israel, or will the United States not stand beside Israel? That is going to be the real determining factor of how significant what happened now turns out to be. But what about the other organizations, the United Nations, and uh, in fact, the European Union? Uh, They don't seem to be standing with Israel. They seem to be running to the side of the Palestinian people. Uh, Yes, they are. They're running uh, toward the Palestinians, and and the international media has been consistently presenting Israel as the bad one. They don't give Palestinian Media Watch information nearly play that it should get. Every time Israel builds in Jerusalem, builds in Judea and Samaria, which we have the legal right to, according to the Oslo Accords and according to the UN decisions, we have the right to build. Uh, and I'm not even talking here about morals and ethics, which we certainly have the right to build. And yet they get angry with us. So the, the media has created this image of Israel as the demon. And I think that the politicians have so little time for anything today, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt now, that they just go along with the anti-Israel mood, and the people expect them to be anti-Israel, and then they side therefore with the Palestinians. When we go, when Palestinian Media Watch goes to parliaments in Europe, we end up getting tremendous support, because people have no idea what's really going on. People think that Israel's the bully, and all of a sudden they find that the Palestinian Authority is teaching its kids hatred, demonization. They're, they're, they're putting pictures on TV where, where, where Israel's depicted as, a, as an ogre, you know, swallowing up Palestinian children. Uh, they have little children, little girls, saying that, that Zion is Satan with a tail. You know, all of this is official Palestinian Authority hatred, and when you show this, show this to members of parliament around the world, they change. They change their attitude. So, so that's our challenge. Our challenge on the media's challenge and, is to get this truth out more so that the the leaders of the world, the the politicians of the world, 
and understand the truth and then give decent policy. Well, let me ask before I get focused totally on the media uh, as it relates to everything they're doing. And I have an issue that I want to discuss with you, a brand-new report talking about the Palestinian Trinity. We'll get that in just a moment. But what about the Palestinian media? How are they using it to indoctrinate or to propagandize the Palestinian people as it relates to this decision at the United Nations? Well, there are some very terrible things that they said. For example, the, the minister of prisoners made a statement saying that this turns all Palestinian terrorists who are in prison, no matter how many civilians they may have murdered, that it turns them all into now prisoners of war. And he said it retroactively turns their battle and, and everything they did into legitimate and that they're prisoners of war who should be released now because the fighting has stopped. This is, of course, a terrible, terrible thing. It's, it's an interpretation that the members of the U.N. did not intend. But the Palestinians have always insisted that they had the right to kill Israelis, they had a right to kill Jews, that as long as Israel existed, they had a right uh, and was on land that they were claiming. They have the right, they believe the right, and therefore they never, ever call terrorist attacks terror. No matter how many civilians may have been killed in suicide bombings that killed 20 and 30 civilians, they never called it terror, they always called it resistance. And now the minister of prisoner comes along and says, well, uh, this U.N. vote proves that we were legitimate freedom fighters and therefore our people are prisoners of war, and they did nothing wrong. I understand that both factions of the Palestinian body politic, Fatah, which would be Mahmoud Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, that's his organization, and they're basically in the Ramallah area, they're in the area of Judea and Samaria, and then Hamas down in the Gaza Strip, I understand they came together in the celebration of the 25th anniversary of Hamas and said, hey, the armed struggle is the only way to really establish a Palestinian state. So they're not looking for peace. They're looking for a way to keep involved in armed struggle. Well, the, the Hamas says it openly. Uh, the Fatah says it openly as well. The leader of the Fatah, Abbas, has been saying something a little bit different. He says, but he's very tricky, he says, we have the right to the armed conflict. We have a right to use violence, but it's not in the Palestinian interest today. About five or six times, I think, in the last year, he has said, the Arab world should stop telling us to go and fight. If you join us, we will fight with you, but we alone can't do it. Now, this is Abbas. This is the Abbas who's supposed to be the moderate. Calls on the Arab world to fight Israel or, or says, if you lead and fight Israel, we will join you. We can't do it alone. We're not strong enough. So this is not a person who's coming and telling his people that the way you resolve conflict is through negotiation. He's telling his people, you resolve conflict any which way you can. If you're strong enough, you actually do go and fight. That's, that's Mahmoud Abbas. And Amar, I have to congratulate you and your staff, your team, at Palestinian Media Watch. Not only are you invaluable to parliaments and congresses around the world, you're invaluable to us here in our media outlet to try to get, indeed, to the Christian community especially, the truth about what the Palestinian people are saying. Uh, but I guess with the Oslo Accords back in 1993, an establishment was set up for a Palestinian media electronically. They'd had, I guess, the print media, but electronically they now use television and radio to propagandize the Palestinian people. And they do it every way they possibly can. I think this is about as low and dirty as you can possibly get. The report I just received from you about the Palestinian Trinity 
and they referred to the Palestinian trinity as Jesus Christ, Yasser Arafat, and Mahmoud Abbas. That's heresy if I've ever heard it. Well, absolutely. Yasser Arafat spent his life uh, essentially murdering uh, Jews, Israelis, and others, and until uh, the day he died, I mean, he he uh, became famous as a terrorist, head of the PLO and head of the Fatah. Uh, he signed the Oslo Accords, which proved to be a you know a, a scam and a, and a fraud, and, and then he went and just established uh, uh, a terror infrastructure, and then sent people to do suicide bombings, killed a thousand Israelis more over over a period of uh, four years of terror, and and this is the person who they're comparing. To, to Jesus, and of course, it's an insult to any to any believing person. It's an insult to anyone who who who, who respects uh, what Jesus represents, whether they're Christian or not. And to say that Yasser Arafat is in the same category, and to say that Abbas is in the same category, is just as bad. Abbas himself has prided himself in recently. He had an interview a few years ago, and he said, "I was the first one to shoot the first bullet of the Fatah." And then he goes on to say how proud he is that that he was involved in the training of Hezbollah in their in their camps. So. This is Abbas, this is Arafat, both people whose entire lives have been involved with fighting, and they put themselves in a holy trinity with Jesus, who probably is, in his writings, I mean, you can't get more anti-violence than saying, turn the other cheek. And that, and that was what Jesus represented. So it's just horrific, horrific, and this is what the Palestinian Authority is doing with his name. And this is a perfect example of how the Palestinian media is perverting truth, perverting history, and propagandizing not only the Palestinian people, but in essence, the rest of the world itself. Itamar, I so appreciate your availability to us. Thank you so much for staying on top of these issues, the media and what it's saying in the Palestinian, among the Palestinian body politic. And you're an invaluable asset to those of us who really want to know the truth. Thank you, my friend, and I'm sure next year we'll be having further conversations. It's always great, and uh, wishing you a a great season and uh, and a great new year. Very interesting information from Itamar Marcus as he and his team keep a focus on the Palestinian media. We receive the report of what they are actually saying, not what they're purveying to the world. That's a key component in understanding what's happening there in the Middle East. Well, we're going to be talking with Rabbi Yoel Karen, a special report looking back through 2012 as it relates to the Temple Mount and preparations to build the next temple. That's upcoming in the next segment. But right now, Dr. Rob Congdon is going to look back through 2012 and at the same time project into 2013 a bit. Rob, uh, this has been a very interesting year as it relates to the European Union. I guess the the main story would have to be the economic crisis. Would you agree with that? And what is the situation, generally speaking, as we look at the European Union right now? Well, yes, it definitely is. The economics is the crucial issue. Uh, Much of Europe is on the edge, if not already back into a second recession. That has been what they've been looking at all year. They've been trying to find solutions, and what I think above all, in best summary of it, is in 12 months, they really haven't come up with a finalized solution, a few Band-Aids to help things go, keep going. But what it has brought to the issue is what is the future of the EU and the sovereign states that are part of it? Should the EU become the all-powerful empire, if you will, 
or should the sovereign states break away, solve their own financial problems, as if solving a problem in their own home instead of outside of the home? And that has been the issue, as will most likely be the continuing issue this coming year. And I still believe, and most of the key people of Europe say, the solution is for the European Union to become the all-powerful group of the of all the states together. Economically, you're talking about? Yes, economically, but always remember, once you have the economic power, you eventually have all the political power to it. It sort of flows together, and it's through economics that that political union will truly, truly solidify. I think that's the golden rule. He who has or controls the goal does indeed rule. Uh, do you see that pretty tough structure coming together? We've talked in the past about an economic structure for all 27 member states. Does that look like it could gel in 2013? I think so. I think what we're going to see in 2013 is, and kind of using an American term like the Federal Reserve that really has say over many of the banks and regulations and controls, I think we're going to see that develop in Europe. Uh, they already are ruling about the money that is used and, and some of the more tighter regulations of some of the banks. That's where it's headed, is uh, get the control of a central European bank that truly is a central European bank, which would then control, again, the banking, which leads to the finances, which leads to the political. Yes, and leads to the leadership. Well, talk to me about a call that came from a number of the leaders in Europe earlier in 2012. It was calling for one president over the European Union and combining the three structures, the 27 member states, I think that's the council, and then you have uh, your commission, and then you have the legislature. Uh, that's right. They're, they're calling for a supra-president, if you will, uh, right now, you have two. You have the Baruso, who's a president of the commission. Then you have the president of the council, and they really want one man. And remember, that seems to be the trend. Ultimately, you have to have a one man at the head, and that's what they want to lead to. There are many men that are already planning their candidacy and how to do their campaign to get that position. We've talked about them many times. There's Tony Blair. Of course, let me just remind everybody, eavesdropping on this conversation, what Rob just said is key for having Rob as a regular broadcast partner. We need to keep watching the European Union. Here's a man who could become the president. That is a prerequisite, I believe, for the scenario found in Bible prophecy for the future. And in addition to a one leader of the European Union, a super president, as you referred to him, uh, they continue in Europe, the leadership continues to use the word empire. Uh, do you think they really think they're going to become an empire, or is that a Freudian slip? What's the use of that word so prevalent for? I think they're using the word empire because what they wanted to suggest is a single power over many independent or former independent nations. I think they're using it in the very technical term. But they do dream of that, and what they're trying to avoid, the leaders that use that term, are trying to avoid the idea of federation, which is what the American system is, where you have a central government, but you have states that have reserved powers. An empire, you don't have that. You have a central government, and then the states carry out the tasks from then under that, and all the powers are only given to the states from the 
empire, whereas in a federation, the states reserve the primary powers, and the federation only gets powers given to them. A big difference. Our press is always talking about a federation, but European, many Europeans are talking about the empire idea. So we need to watch because the one is more of what we see in biblical prophecy. The other is what we already have here in the U.S., something we're familiar with that certainly doesn't fit the pattern that the scriptures would indicate at the end times. Well, since you are a student of the prophetic passages in God's Word, telling us of the end-time scenario that's going to unfold, would you not see everything we've talked about in this report today actually setting the stage for the European Union to be the key in establishing the revived Roman Empire as called for in Bible prophecy? Well, when we when we pull everything together, the worldview, uh, events happening around the world, and we add in the events of the European Union, we've always said the European Union seems to be the embryo, whether it, it uh, kind of... Uh, evolves into a different form of government, but I still think it is on the path to that final world empire. Wow, wow. Well, the Word of God and current events unfolding in our world seem to indicate we are at that time, as described, that uh, the time of Jesus would be his return to this earth. And it's exciting to even think about it and talk about it. Dr. Rob Congdon with our European Union update. He's a regular right here on Prophecy Today. We want to keep him that way. We need to know what's happening in that part of the world. Rob, thank you so very much, and Happy New Year's. Talk to you again next year. It's always great to be with you. May you have a blessed New Year to all your listeners. Thank you much, Rob. We appreciate that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back after the news, an interview with Rabbi Yoel Karen will focus on the controversy surrounding the Temple Mount and the preparations to build the next temple. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This weekend, we're going to be at Grace Baptist Church in the morning, Sunday morning with a message, and then in the evening on Monday, New Year's Eve, we're going to do two sessions. I'll teach from the prophetic Word of God. In fact, I'm going to be looking at the overall big picture in the book of Revelation, and then we'll have a time of prophecy Q&A. This will be a great time. Grace Baptist Church, uh, Pastor Steve Euler and all of his fine people, we'd love to have you come and join us. On Sunday morning, we're going to scan the entire book of Ezekiel, but we're going to show you how the contents of Ezekiel fit into what is actually taking place in the Middle East today. These are two sessions that you do not want to miss. Grace Baptist Church here in Chattanooga, Sunday morning and then Monday evening. We're very excited about what's coming up next. I'm going to have an interview with Rabbi Yoel Karen. Rabbi Karen is going to join us, and we're going to focus on the Temple Mount. There's a controversy surrounding the Temple Mount today. Zechariah, the ancient Jewish prophet, said that would be the case in the last days. That's Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. And then we'll talk with the rabbi about the preparations to build the next temple. Everything is finished. They're doing something right now very key to bringing about the building of that next temple. Please keep your dial set right where it is. You do not want to miss this interview. 
Before we get to Rabbi Yoel Karen, let me talk to you about our poll question. Each week we post a poll question on our website, prophecytoday.com. I hope that you will avail yourself of this opportunity to help us understand what your thinking is. We want to make certain that we're studying the Word of God together with you on this broadcast to help you know exactly what prophetic passages in God's Word tell us will happen in the end times. Well, here's our poll question. You can find it again, front page of our website, prophecytoday.com. It's on the left-hand column. Just scroll down and you'll find it. Here's the question. During 2012, there were many news stories that have a relationship with the prophetic scenario that's found in the Bible describing the last days. Could all of these current events be actually setting the stage for these Bible prophecies to be fulfilled? Now, that's our poll question. Please go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and answer the poll question. We'd love to have you as a part of our ministry here at Prophecy Today. Yoel Karen is a rabbi, but in addition to that, very knowledgeable of what's happening throughout all of Israel. We could talk about the political aspect, but I want to focus with the rabbi on the Temple Mount, on what is taking place as it relates to preparations for the next temple, etc. Rabbi, great to have you along with us today as one of our broadcast partners as we take a look at 2012's top news stories coming out in particular with you, for example, uh, what's going on in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. As always, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for being available. Let's do focus on the Temple Mount. It's been somewhat of a controversy, both from the Palestinian side, and they continue to deny that there's ever been a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount or even at the Western Wall. But the Israeli government is not helping to give the capability for the people who would really, the religious Jewish people who would like to go up onto the Temple Mount, have some time to just stand there. I remember looking back over Hanukkah, there were many who wanted to go there and to just meditate up there on the Temple Mount, trying to follow the rules that had been laid down. But uh, both the Israeli government and the Palestinians, let's take it from the Israeli government. I mean, they should be the friends of those who want to do something on the Temple Mount. They don't seem to be. You would think, you know, that they would... Even any minimal national pride that these people would have would would stop them from the things that they do and that they say. I was so embarrassed last week with with, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu getting up and declaring to the world that uh, the Western Wall is not negotiable and it's under full Israeli sovereignty. In effect, he's to mention that the Western Wall is yours without mentioning that the Temple Mount that it's holding up is yours is, is absolutely ridiculous. He basically denied, without saying it, he publicly denied that that the uh, Temple Mount is non-negotiable and is and is entirely Jewish. So it's just it's it's really really sad, really frustrating to hear that those kinds of cowardly statements coming out of the Prime Minister of the Nation of Israel. Now, does that enhance the Palestinian attack on the reality of truth that there has been a presence on the Temple Mount at least since the times of Abraham when he went there with Isaac? to offer him on Mount Moriah, which is the same as the Temple Mount, and that dates back uh, almost 4,000 years ago. Of course, any, any sign of weakness emboldens them. And they're, 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 not, they're not idiots. They're, they're very intelligent, and they can, see, they can see a weak point, and they know how to exploit it. And, and they know that Israel's unwillingness 
to, to publicly state the truth is, is a weakness that they can exploit. Now, talk to me just about that 4,000-year-ago event that did take place, and, and let others know. We, we've got a litany of things, I would think, and just discuss it with me, if you will. Abraham there, and then King David purchasing the threshing floor from one on the Jebusite, Solomon building the first temple. Just go through those things for us and rehearse them so those eavesdropping on the conversation can realize how important the Temple Mount is to the Jewish people. Right, right. Even, you know, not only was was this the place that that Abraham, this is the Mount Moriah, mentioned in the Bible. And going back further than that, Jewish tradition holds that this, that the 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 foundation stone where the Holy of Holies was, is the very point, the very the very infinite point from which the entire universe sprang. And so then, going forward, you have this as the point where uh, where actually the, the Garden of Eden was. Where the where Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac, it, it is that's the the technical name of the mountain is is Har Moriah, Mount Moriah. It, it's only called the Temple Mount because of the association with the temple after it was built there. Uh, then going forward, you have David purchasing. You have the Jebusite offering him to take it for free, and he refuses, exactly as Abraham refused to take the cave of Machpelah in Hebron for free. He insisted on buying it. Because he, he could see, he, he, you know, we our rabbis tell us that the wise man is the one that who, who can see what's 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 coming down. These it's in Hebrew, it's roe at the molad sees that which is being born. Abraham knew what would happen in the future. David knew what would happen in the future, and they insisted on buying these places. The rabbis say there's three places that the nations can never say we stole from them, and that is the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. The kever of the, uh, the tomb of Joseph in in Shem, and the Temple Mount. All of those were bought and paid for fair and square, and yet all three of those sites are not under Jewish control today. And very controversial. In fact, the ancient Jewish prophet Zechariah, in his book, chapter twelve, I think, is verse two where it says, Jerusalem shall be a cup of trembling, basically symbolic, referring to the controversy surrounding the Temple Mount, uh, undoubtedly coming to the Messiah. That is a key component in end-time prophecy. Uh, but it's evidence that we're quickly... I remember talking with uh, the number two man over at the Temple Institute, Rabbi Chaim Richman. He said, we're living in the days of Zechariah chapter 12. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely we are. And indeed, it's not going to get any better. It's going to only intensify. For sure. That's, that's, that's something for every individual who is, who is alive and listening to us right now to consider the generation that they've been born into, the generation that is, that is seeing these things come to pass. Prophecy has been fulfilled for centuries now, but the, the birth pangs are beginning to grow closer and closer and, and, and more and more intense all the time. So this is really in a transitional generation right now where we're actually seeing these things. It's incredible to be alive and be part of it. It certainly is. I would agree with that. 2,500 years ago was when Zechariah wrote that passage of Scripture about the controversy surrounding Jerusalem, and there were no Islamists at that time, according to the record of history. But now it looks to me, and I want to get your opinion, the Islamic element that's in Jerusalem and focused on that Temple Mount, they seem to be that which is the underlying cause for all this controversy. Yes, actually, history is something that is very, to them, it's, it's, a, it's not a black and white thing. What happened yesterday, you can interpret as you, as you wish today, and you can change the facts to match whatever is more advantageous to you. 
that's the way that they, they look at history. And, and, and they don't understand truth and falsehood the way we do, as absolutes. They're all relative, and they can all be changed up to, to suit your purpose. So according to them, there, everyone was a Muslim before, before Islam even existed. Abraham, Adam, everyone, they were all Muslim prophets. The, the, the Temple Mount was a mosque before there was, before there was a Muhammad, before there was an Islam. To you and I, it sounds ridiculous. To them, it doesn't sound ridiculous, because truth is relative yeah. to them. Yeah. Totally subjective to what you've heard or studied or lived through in the past. Well, indeed, God's Word is absolute. It's objective, and those ancient Jewish prophets talked about it. Let us know beforehand, pre-wrote history, as you might say, to how it would be in the end times. Well, there's going to be a temple that's going to be built as well. Update us. What's the latest on the preparations to build that temple on that very controversial piece of real estate? Well, I can I can tell you this, that... Over the past year, there have been, there's been quite a shift. There haven't been a lot of new vessels and things like that being created because, quite frankly, most of it's done. What we're seeing right now is the shift in the consciousness and the way that people, uh, the average Jew on the street and politicians are relating to the Temple Mount. Of course, you know we have Moshe Feiglin, who's declared that the first thing he would do if elected prime minister would be to go up to the Temple Mount and bow down and thank God for him being elected. It just so happens that next week there will be a group of Knesset candidates. We're coming into elections, as you probably know, very soon. And a lot of the people who are running for the Israeli parliament are going to go up to the Temple Mount to give thanks to God and to ask his blessing on their, on their campaigns and to, to put them into the seats in the Knesset. These are things that are completely... We've had, since the Temple Mount was reopened to Jews, this is the first time anything like this has happened. So... That's, the, that's what's bringing us closer. That's the, 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 the type of preparations that we can talk about. People are preparing their minds and their bodies now like they never have before. They're preparing for the temple with their feet by walking up to the Temple Mount itself. And that's where the real change has come this year. Now let me make sure I understood what you said. All the implements needed to operate the temple, the training of the priest who will be those serving at the temple, every item needed to build that building, it's basically in place, and now you're preparing the hearts and minds of the Jewish people for that temple. Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening right now. Now, of course, there are a few things that are, that are not ready that we can't just uh, you know, create out of thin air, like the ashes of the red heifer. There are only a few sacrifices, parts of the sacrificial service, that can be done without those ashes. The Passover offering can be brought, certain public sacrifices can be brought, but a great many of offerings and sacrifices cannot be brought until we get those ashes and purify a new generation of, of koanim, of priests. So there are some of the pieces that are still not fit into the puzzle yet, that we still don't have, but we could right now. We have everything we need in place. If we had the political, the physical ability to walk up there and do it, we could reinstitute the divine service today. Wow. Rabbi Yoel Karen. He updates us on the controversy surrounding the Temple Mount and also preparations to build that next temple on that very sacred piece of real estate, especially sacred to the Jewish people. Rabbi, you've helped us to look back at 2012, and we basically have talked about the prospects for 2013 as well. We appreciate it so much. Next year, we'll continue to have these conversations. Thank you, my good friend. Thank you. 
Wow, what a fantastic interview. A conversation with Rabbi Yoel Karen, focusing on the controversy surrounding the Temple Mount today. Bible prophecy said that would indeed happen. We talked about it, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. And then the preparations to build the next temple. The Messiah, according to Zechariah 6.12, is going to come back to this earth. He's going to Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 1 verse 16, and he's going to build the temple on that sacred piece of real estate, Mount Moriah, or as we know it today, the Temple Mount. If you'd like to listen to any of the conversations, especially this one with Rabbi Karen, that we've had with any of our broadcast partners, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Each of these interviews have been archived at that site, and you can go and listen to them, or call a friend and tell them to go. That'd be a great idea. Get a hold of a friend. They need to hear these messages as well. Now, I'm going to take a break, and when we come back in about two minutes, I'm going to take a look at the book, and we're going to bring everything together that we talked about with our broadcast partners as it relates to how their reports fit into a scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here at Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand like Daniel where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298 or visit us at schoolofprophets.org The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we talked with our broadcast partners around the world about current events happening that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to 
be fulfilled because every single news report that we've had from our broadcast partners seems to fit the prophetic scenario found in Bible prophecy, Bible prophecy for the last days. For example, in my conversations with the broadcast partners, I spoke with Ken Timmerman. He was in Sweden. We talked about the Iranian threat. It doesn't seem to be going away. Syria's civil war. Some maybe think that there should be an intervention from some of the nations of the world. We're looking at U.S. leadership and how they are going to fare in 2013. They haven't done quite that well on the world scene in 2012. We then talked with David Dolan. He gives us our Middle East news update. He brought to our attention Israel's number one threat is still Iran. The Palestinian state, however, is uh, starting to surface as a major problem. They're in the belly of the state of Israel. They now have so-called state status from the United Nations. And then we talked about Prime Minister Netanyahu, his control over Jerusalem and the area of Judea and Samaria, the Jewish settlements. Very important issues. We discussed with David about what's happening in Israel. Winky Madad was still in Israel. He is a Jewish journalist that is involved in, with the government, in fact, in Israel. We talked about the upcoming elections, what that's going to mean for the Israeli leadership to go forward with what they're going to have to deal with, the threat from Iran, the possibility of war in the Gaza Strip, etc. Itamar Marcus, he is the head of Palestinian Media Watch, and we talked about how the Palestinian media is propagandizing the Palestinian people, but they're doing that to the world as well. Palestinian state status is a big problem. We've already seen the Palestinians claiming to have a state called Palestine. Now they want a portion, or at least a portion of it, of the city of Jerusalem as their capital city. Dr. Rob Congdon looked at the European Union for us, continuing economic crisis there. The European leadership and who could come to power as the sole leader of the three different branches of the European Union. That is key as we look at a prophetic scenario relating to the revival of the old Roman Empire, which Rob and I both agree would be its foundation at least. That would be the infrastructure of the European Union. Rabbi Yoel Karen talked to us about the Temple Mount and the controversy surrounding the Temple Mount, not only with the Israeli government, but with the Muslims who control the Temple Mount. Preparations, of course, to build that next temple all in place. Now they're trying to prepare the minds of the Jewish people in order to put that temple up. I think that it would be very important for you to call a friend, tell them about these conversations we had with our broadcast partner, try to get them to go and listen to these conversations. It will give them great insight. And these men bring to the table very important information, insight into the current events unfolding. Now, if you have a friend you could call and tell them about it, or maybe you want to re-listen to one of the interviews, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and that is radio at your convenience. When you have an opportunity to listen to it, it's on demand. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN. All of our radio broadcasts are archived at that site. You know, these stories covered for 2012 by our broadcast partners, 
as we've listened to what they had to say today, they're evidence of how the world is quickly moving to the time of the rapture of the church. That's the next event on God's calendar of activities. Let me rehearse that again for you. It's always good to go over what the scenario is going to be for the end times. The next event will be the rapture of the church when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, trumpet of God sounds, and we're caught up to be with him in the air. That would be First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. It would be Revelation chapter 4. Four and verse 1. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of time called the tribulation, terrible time of judgment on this earth. It's for the purpose of bringing the earth and earth dwellers under submission for the establishment of the kingdom. That seven-year period of time is referred to in Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 2 through chapter 19, verse 10. Chapter 19, verse 11 of Revelation records the prophecy of the second coming. Jesus will mount a white horse, we that are already in the heavenlies, having gone there at the rapture, will come back with Jesus to the Mount of Olives in the city of Jerusalem, and then the Lord will set up his thousand-year kingdom. That's referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, a thousand-year kingdom on this earth. The Lord is not the king of kings now. He gets that title when he mounts that white horse on his vesture, on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. He will then become king. He's not king. He's at the right hand of the Father as we speak today. Following that thousand years, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, and then Revelation 21 and 22 into eternity future, new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Well, you know, we're alive just at the time in history before the rapture of the church. And our broadcast partners did give us the stories that are, as I've said before, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, we talked with Ken about the Iranian threat. It's still very prevalent there at this time. And when you go to the book of Ezekiel, you read in chapter 38 and verse 5 about Iran. Iran is the number one threat to the Israeli people. They are very much concerned about a nuclear weapon of mass destruction becoming a warhead on one of those long-range Shahab-3 missiles that can reach any target in Israel. David Dolan talked to us about that and Israel's concern, as well as the entire Middle East concern about a nuclear-powered Iran. We talked with Winky about the elections and the leadership for Israel in the future. God established human government, Genesis 9, 6. He uses human government, has in the past, will in the present, and in the future. Revelation 17, 17 says God puts in the hearts of human world leaders to accomplish his will. Itamar Marcus talked to us about the Palestinians. That's Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 35. Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8 and 23 and 24 talks about the revival of the Roman Empire, the infrastructure, the European Union. Uh, that's what Rob Congdon brought to the table. And Yoel Karen focused on the Temple Mount, the city of Jerusalem, where the next temple is going to stand. That's Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2. And chapter 6, verse 12 says Messiah will come back back and rebuild that temple. You know, our world is ripe for prophecy to be fulfilled. These news items from 2012 are evidence preparing, actually, 2013 as a time when all of these prophecies will be fulfilled. And actually, the next prophecy, the next prophetic event is the rapture of the church. And my dear friend, that could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.